This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with somebody that I've seen speak a couple of times, but we've actually never met. We'll take care of that in uh, Baltimore at the Cyber Summit. Uh, in May, Hong Sang Bay is the public sector chief technologist for Zscaler. Uh, Hung Sang, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So uh, let, let's start by telling people a little bit about uh, you and your background and a little bit about Zscaler, and then we'll get into it. Sure. So I've been a technologist. So, um, well, actually, let's start, start before that, considering we, we just mentioned um Baltimore Tech Cyber is coming around. So I jokingly say 30 pounds ago, I was an infantry officer in the Army. And uh, I, I actually had never wanted to get out, but life is, has its own course. And uh, I got out early, and, but I was also a computer science major as well. So technology was always in my blood. And when I got out, I started with a consulting company, made my way towards uh, joining Citigroup. So I spent 15 years um, and, you know, many, many jobs, branches, data centers, you name it, uh, culminating in director of network services there. So we were one of six global engineering leads uh, that made up the architecture team for global Citigroup technology network infrastructure. It was a wonderful place because sometimes the size is what differentiates how hard things are. So I learned the value of you know, it's one thing to engineering something, something, uh, but it's an entirely different matter to operate it. So I would say it's 15% effort to engineer a solution and 85% to operate it on a day-to-day basis. This is something that a lot of people in technology don't understand because we gravitate, gravitate towards cool things, right? The complex things. Um, and, and that's the death now for enterprise and large-scale DOD-type networks where you make something hard, then you'll never be able to operate that. So uh, after that, I was uh, part of Riverbed for a bit, Uh, worked as a CTO there ultimately. Uh, I spent eight great years under Jerry and Riverbed. It was the first time I've ever been on the vendor side of things, so I had a lot of learning to do. Uh, And then I joined Zscaler uh, about 12, 14 months ago, I guess now it is, 16, 16, something like that. And um, here I am. Here you are. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you for that. Um, so we, we've been, uh, for those who don't know, I map out topics, especially with technologists beforehand, because I'm the least technical person in the world. So when I'm interviewing somebody, I really want to know uh, the, the direction the conversation should take and impart the most useful knowledge. So when, when we were uh, swapping emails about this, you mentioned, uh, not quite in passing, but you mentioned three tech things that changed the world in your humble opinion. So walk us through this, please. Yeah. So, you know, every there seems to be a generational technology that uh, makes people take notice, right? And a, a good litmus test is when your spouse, when your grandmother starts using those words. ChatGPT is the current you know, leading horse, not sure how we can have a debate about the 
the efficacy or how much change ChatGPT will bring up. Uh, for the, so for those of you out there playing technology word bingo, you can cross ChatGPT and AI off the list. Uh, we'll use things like leverage and uh, paradigm shift a little later on. So uh, just a you know heads up. But be that as it may, when so I got involved in technology in the '80s. This was a time when you had to write your own driver, right? The operating system was just an operating system. There was nothing there that you could do with it. You had to build everything. Um, so I remember, you know, trying to get access to the VAC system for University of Arizona, and there was no modem driver, and I had to write my own modem driver. So, you know, compare and contrast that with the iPad generation where everything is just finger swipe away. So in that world, I learned uh, from my friend's grandmother what the word spreadsheet meant. And uh, she asked me why it's called a spreadsheet, had no idea. And she actually pulled out a sheet of paper that unfolded to a large sheet of paper. Okay, so believe it or not, this is not unknown to me in the military. They actually teach you how to fold a paper map so that you can hold it in a kind of a four by six format, but cut it in a way that it's like origami. You can get to every part of that map without having to spread out that entire map. So as you, you know, as I said, it was 30 pounds ago when I was in the army, GPS was just starting to come out. So we still did things, dead reckoning, map reading, et cetera. So when I saw that spreadsheet being open, it clicked. I said, oh, that's why it's called a spreadsheet. You spread the sheet out. And VisiCalc, was the very first um, spreadsheet, electronic spreadsheet, that changed the world that brought on Lotus 1, 2, 3, right? So to me, VisiCalc and WordStar, not very sexy, but it changed how people do things on a data basis, daily basis. Then the second thing was, you know, IBM computers and local area network go hand in hand. So some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, how can you say that VisiCalc came first and then you mentioned IBM and network is a second thing because there was a thing called, um, you know, there was another computer system before there was uh, IBM PC. But PC is the one that became a force multiplier. Everybody bought it. The CPM computer, that's what the operating system was called. Very few people bought it. Um, so IBM PC, local area network took off, marriage made in heaven. So that's the second thing that changed the world. The third thing isn't internet. So a lot of you may be going, this moron, how can you say the internet didn't change the world? Because the internet existed in the late 80s. I was using it, but it was all command line driven. It was all Unix driven. Um, and so, you know, there were religious wars back then too about was it AT&T versus Berkeley. Uh, Linux was just, uh, you know, just a, hasn't even shown up yet. It'll be many decades later that it will. And um so, yes, Internet is important, but what made Internet popular was the two factors. So it was one, two punch. Tim Berners-Lee wrote the code, HTML. Um, that existed. But again, it was hard to use. And it was Mark Andreessen that, from NCSA that released Mosaic Browser. That is what popularized in- Internet, right? It wasn't Internet for the sake of Internet. There was nothing on it other than uh, academic stuff and research stuff. So it took the code of HTML from Tim Berners-Lee and Mark Andreessen browser. So why do I say that? Why do I talk about the, the three technologies that changed the world? Because I believe in my heart that these three things changed the world, but
but it's going to be the zero trust that'll save us, right? And zero trust has the same type of similar vein. It's easy to deploy. It's easy to use, but it has far-reaching effects into uh, the defense that it brings to the table. So I just thought it had a nice ring to us when I was thinking about this, that, hey, these one-two punches, what do they have in common? It allowed people to do things. It wasn't complicated. It was easy to use, easy to deploy. And here we are with zero trust, right, at the same kind of precipice of about to save the world. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I'm familiar with VisiCalc. I'm familiar with WordStar. <laughs> uh, I remember the deployment, the initial deployment of, of LANs. I remember yep. studies coming out from GSA, uh, literally studies on how many computers, personal computers, were at use in each agency. And we were, were talking hundreds, not right. Tens of thousands. That's right. Um, That's right. And and uh, and mosaic. Wow. You know, I I always measured the uh, the changing of the world with Netscape and Navigator, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, mosaic was was there. Jeez. Yeah. That's, That's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in fact, uh, as I recall, if you went to help in Mosaic browser under Windows, it said, "Hey, my name's Mark Andreessen. I wrote this. I need a job." Right. <laughs> um, so. I never forgot that. Uh, and I thought, oh, this kid's smart. He put his own resume into the thing that everybody's using. And of course he's smart because now he's worth billions. <laughs> well, there you go. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Hang Sung and I will come back and we will be discussing, he will be discussing uh, zero trust. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Hung Sung Bay. Uh, you can find Hung Sung on on LinkedIn. Uh, look up Zscaler. Uh, you'll find 8,000, 9,000 people there. But Hung Sung is H-A-N-S-A-N-G, last name B-A-E. Uh, sorry if you didn't want to connect with everybody, Hung Sung, but now they're going to reach out. Um, so let's let's talk about why zero trust adoption is not rapid. Sure. So I think there's a couple things. Um, In technology, we have this kind of confirmation bias and hubris of things I know. Uh, I remember having a conversation when I first started out in technology. There was, you know, there were better ways of doing, um, the detail doesn't matter. And I suggested, hey, why don't we do this? And someone said, hey, Hansang, I've been doing this for 15 years um, and uh, we don't have to change. And my response was, just because you've been doing it for 15 years doesn't mean you've been doing it right for 50 years, 15 years, right? Now, that was a brash statement, uh, young and cocky. I was in my old enough to know better, young enough not to care stage, very dangerous stage. Uh, But it was about technology and I know it was better because it was more efficient. Um, it, it helped the operators. So I knew I was in the right. So zero trust, number one, we, we get jaded by this flash in the pan. Every technology seems like, oh, it's going to change the world. It's going to do this. It's going to do this. And there's boneyard of things that never did a damn thing uh, other than lose a lot of money for the VCs, right? Software-defined networking. Remember that? Think about how hot that topic was. Had a lot of promise, but it was before the technology was able to do 
the intent of software-defined networking. So, you know, ISDN is another example. And those of you that don't remember, uh, ISDN was going to change the world. It was two 64K channels, if you can believe that. And that was going to change the world. And telcos finally nicknamed it ISDN as it's still doing nothing. And they were right. It did nothing. It just went nowhere. And it, I jokingly I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And I said SDN was doomed to fail because they took four, three letters out of ISDN. And it still meant still doing nothing. Um, but here's, here's why it's going to fail, right? SDN or any type of network-based segmentation, the word network segmentation, it's still in a lot of zero-trust architecture documents, network segmentation. Um, and I was having a conversation uh, at SharkFest. This is a packet capture, you know, Wireshark users group. And I invited Rich Seifert to speak, do the keynote speech. He wrote the book on Ethernet. He was one of the three principal designers of Ethernet. Um, so Digital Intel Xerox were responsible for creating DICS standard or Ethernet standard. Rich Seifert is one of those principals that did it. And he said they decided not to even trademark the name Ethernet. There is no trademark on Ethernet because they wanted everybody to adopt it. And they didn't want anything to be in the way of adoption of this technology. Imagine that right now, if three companies come up with a killer thing and decide to give it away. Different times, I'm sure. So when Digital Intel Xerox gave it away for free, the only stipulation was that it would cost you $1,000 to get um, a block of MAC addresses. And they only did that so that every graduate and college students wouldn't request one, right? Obviously, if you're a business, $1,000 is nothing. But to a graduate student, it's a lot. And his point was, it's this ubiquitous fabric that he wanted to build that everything connects to. And network segmentation does the exact opposite of that. And why, why isn't zero trust take rolling out faster? Well, because people are hanging on to this idea that I've been doing segmenting from firewalls, ACLs and whatnot. I'll continue to do that. It's good enough. And it's not uh, because it's, it's, again, we have to stop using the network as a security blanket, right? And for too long, that's all we had. So we used it and zero trust, the right zero trust solution doesn't care about the network. It uses the network. Don't get me wrong, all the infrastructure folks out there. I'm one of your people. I lived in your world for 15, 20 years. But the network is that ubiquitous fabric that should connect everything. That's not where you have to segment. It's You use network as a transport, and you protect the user. You protect the application and the network. Not that it doesn't matter, but it doesn't play a principal role in the protection of that workload. Right. So, again, network is important, but I equate it to breathing. Mark, when's the last time you thought about breathing? When the doctor <laughs> told you with a stethoscope and said, hey, take a deep breath for me. That's the last time you thought about it. Right. But if it stops, you have about 90 seconds before you die. So, yes, of course, network is important. That's not what I'm not saying. I'm saying network isn't the judge, the arbiter of what can connect to what. Zero trust principles says you can't do this at the network, right? So I think that's one of the reasons why there's um, kind of this fighting the inertia of momentum. I've been doing this network thing and I'm going to continue to do it and you can't tell me otherwise. And being jaded by all the technologies that came along that did not, ultimately did nothing uh, but caused a lot of ruckus in 
budgets and you know roadmaps and planning sessions and and battle scars of trying to get new technology to roll out and it didn't really pan out that well i i, I have the scars to prove it as well so those are some of the things that i think caused the lack of adoption of zero trust i appreciate that but i mean you know there, there's so much more you know on the psychological side spencer johnson who moved my cheese um you know people hate change because Mm -hmm. especially not so young people in technology they've accumulated Mm -hmm. all of this experience and practical knowledge on what they're currently using and who the hell wants to give that up I, right. you know, don't move my cheese, Hang Seng. Yeah. You know, my cheese is perfectly fine where it is. It may be old and crusty, but it's perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I 100% get why people don't want to change. I'm kind of the face of I don't want to change because when I worked at 388 Greenwich at Citigroup uh, in New York, from my train stop to the office, my coffee cart, there were five or ten my coffee cart was my coffee. That's my coffee guy, right? So even though there's a longer line, that's my cart. That's the one that I went to. I don't like change. People, we are creatures of habit. So I totally get that I've invested this intellectual property in learning something. But what I'm saying is that zero trust requires all of that knowledge. All it's doing is unburdening you of things that you know doesn't work and you keep fighting it. So in effect... What I'm saying to the network folks out there is that zero trust will finally let you do what you've always told people. I'm a plumber. I build pipes. What goes in there? It's not my job because I'm the utility, right? And we've said that for many, many years, but people kept saying, but can you stop this? Can you stop that? And we begrudgingly did it. The other thing, so to kind of, you know, as the kids say these days, I bring receipts. Every router does what's called a per hop behavior. So what's a PHB? Every router makes a forwarding decision based on what it knows. So if you're going to try and stop something, you need to put that access list everywhere because the minute you miss one redundant route and the traffic takes that little you know right turn unexpectedly and the access list is not there, you're done, right? So now you're saying, okay, not only does it not have enough granularity, IP address, port numbers, but now you have to do it on every interface that this traffic could possibly take in a large enterprise. That's a full Xeran, right? So we as infrastructure people know that, but you know what? You go to war with army you have, not the army you want, right? That's a famous saying. And so we did what we could do um, at the network level with access lists and whatnot. And now I'm saying we have a technology that frees us from that burden. And we can concentrate on building the best, most resilient, robust network there is without this anchor of trying to be, make it a security blanket as well. Cool. We're going to take another break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. When we come back, we're going to get into what zero trust really means and, more importantly, what it, it is not. I'll be back with Hang Sung right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Hang Song Bei. He's the public sector chief technologist for Zscaler. Uh, and before I forget, uh, Zscaler had a public sector summit back in the uh, in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we're kind of no, we're not out of the spring yet, but earlier this spring, and the uh, 
the on-demand videos will be up uh, soon, and you'll find the link for those and a banner for those on the Zscaler Public Sector website, uh, not the website, but the uh, company page on LinkedIn. So go to Zscaler, click on the public sector page, and you'll see the on-demand videos. And I was at that conference, and the sessions were excellent. Uh, so let's get into what zero trust really means for now. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of definitions of what zero trust, but the one litmus test is if a vendor comes and says, hey, I have a turnkey solution for zero trust for you, kick them out because they're lying. Um, the, the, in order to build a true zero trust architecture requires many, many different um, companies, products, et cetera. Now that sounds like, oh man, that's going to be hard trying to integrate everything. The good news is um, most of those integrations have already happened. So what do I mean by that? So they say every kiss begins with K. That's a commercial, right? From K jewelers. But every app begins with identity and DNS. Okay? So you have to have identity provider. That's your, before you get out the door, you need an identity provider. It could be Pings, Okta, Azure AD, uh, sale po- doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who that is. Just have an identity provider um, so you know who's out there. The second thing that people have are endpoint defense, right? So EDRs, um, detection and response. So this is just, I'm protecting my laptop, my computer. Um, back in the days, we had McAfee and Symantec. Now we have other things like CrowdStrike, uh, Defender, and um, you know others. Again, this is not an endorsement. I'm not being sponsored by anybody. Um, and uh, so, so that's the second thing that you need. Of course, you need the infrastructure. Then you have kind of the zero trust that rides on top of that to provide connectivity tissue between the user and the application. Uh, to do that, you have to intercept that traffic before it even leaves the gate. By the time it, it's on the network and you're trying to use network-based tools to steer it, to slice it, to stop it, it's too late. It, it's, it doesn't scale. If you have a 10 router network, sure, you can do that. Um, but if you have a 100, 1,000, 10,000 router network, you cannot do that. It just doesn't scale, right? So why, why does Zero Trust, why is that such a game changer? So Mark, if, I'm going to ask you to uh, indulge me here. I'm going to go with a joke. You have to participate though, okay? Got it. So, and it's a knock-knock joke. So I'll start. Knock, knock. Who's there? Exactly. You just asked me who's there. None of your servers, none of your VPN servers, concentrators, or firewalls do this. When someone comes knocking on the application, you just open that door and make a connection back. You have to do that because that's how TCP works. So who in their right mind would open a door sight unseen at 3 a.m. if you're by yourself. No one. All your VPN concentrator does this. All your applications do this. When someone comes knocking, they have to open that door and say, who's there? I'll talk to you. Zero Trust says, let's not do that. It's stupid, right? But that's how TCP works, so you have to work that way. So another good example analogy is when you go to the doctor's office, you sit in the lobby. You're with all the other patients with a lot of patients, because I'm sure they're running late. Okay. So you're sitting there. That's the lobby that you sit in. 
they don't when you get there you don't they don't let you run around and go to every other exam room and look under you know the charts and hey what what are you doing what examination are you doing no, that doesn't happen you sit in the lobby and you wait until a nurse comes out and they have a clipboard and say okay mark amtower you're next oh give me your date of birth you know what your last four is social security what's your address so they do a check of you then they escort you to the examination room where you finally uh, get examined. This is what Zero Trust does, right? It protects the user by saying, hey, uh, I'm going to check with IDP. Hold on. I know you want to use this application. Oh, IDP says you're good to go. I'm going to go check with CrowdStrike, Taniums, Defenders of the World. Oh, your posture is good. I will now escort you to the Zero Trust Exchange, that lobby in the middle. Then, most importantly, the application has already made a connection to the lobby, okay? You don't get to connect to that server. So why is that subtle, but why is that so important? Because you can never knock on the door of the application, right? In a world of zero-day attacks, which is what Zero Trust helps to prevent, if you're reachable, you are breachable. That's it. It's as simple as that. In a zero-day if you're reachable, you're breachable. How do we fix it? Well, don't make it reachable. And some of you out there might be thinking, well, that's silly. That's too easy. Uh, no, that's how easy it can be. So let's go through that workflow one more time. In a zero trust solution, Zscaler, we check with identity provider. You're good to go. EDR, you're good to go. I escort you to the lobby. I make you sit there and wait. And the application sends a representative to our exchange and escort you to that application. You never get to knock on that application. So what we did was we reduced the blast radius of what a zero day can do, okay? Because you don't get to move around in a world of zero trust. I build an HOV lane per user, per application. And you can't look out and no one can come in on that HOV lane. We do this at scale. So what does that mean? It means once you're on the network, you don't get to do and spray and pray and try to do drive-bys against all the servers in your network. So all of you listening in an office today, you can drop to shell, drop to DOS, drop to terminal, and you'll be able to ping the entirety of your network. Okay. And Zero Trust says, no, you don't get to do that anymore. I will create an HOV lane so that you can use your application with that one application and nothing else, okay? And that's the fundamental test of zero trust is, if the network is compromised, does a solution still work? Okay? That's a limits test. Does your zero trust work if the network is inevitably compromised? And with the right zero trust solution, the answer is absolutely yes, it'll work. Okay? So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying why zero trust is such a different way of connecting people because it acts like a diode for those of you who are double E's. Diode only works one way. That zero trust exchange that I just talked about is a diode. You can come in, but you don't go straight out to the application and knock on that door. We don't let you do that. The application comes to the lobby to greet you and escort you there in a controlled manner. Okay. That's a key, key, key factor. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound too hard. Well, scale is hard. It's the scale that makes it hard. And, you know, a couple of days ago, Mark, Zscaler passed, surpassed 300 billion transactions protected in a day. 
300 billion in a day. It's the first time that we surpassed 300 billion. Big numbers. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you some frame of reference. There are about 8 billion Google searches a day. There are about billion credit card transactions per day. There are about 5 billion YouTube videos watched per day. And here we are with 300 billion transactions protected per day, right? So being able to do what I just said, building that HOV lane per user per app requires a hyper cloud. It requires technology. It requires simplicity in operation because simplicity scales. Uh, so we bring all of that to our zero trust solution. Cool. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and wrap up the show in a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm here today with Hong Song Bay, public sector chief technologist at Zscaler. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Hong Song Bay of Zscaler. He is the public sector chief technologist. Um, and again, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find Zscaler all over LinkedIn. Uh, and at zscaler.com. So the the final two things we want to talk about today are the steps on getting started with uh, Zero Trust, and then uh, we'll, we'll weave in another topic after. So take it away. Thank you, Mark. So, you know, my ask of you, audience, is get started. Just get started. Think about this, right? As a SaaS solution, there's nothing to rack and stack. There's nothing to cable. You don't have to do a truck roll to get started like you've tr- traditionally been used to. You don't have to change your routing table to adopt the right zero trust solution. Because if you're if you're required to change the routing to make it work, it's part of the network. You're mucking with a network. Zero trust solution should work independently of the infrastructure. Network is a transport, right? You don't it gets you from point A to point B, but you don't need to change it, you don't need to modify it for zero trust to work. That's another litmus test. So there's a saying in Korean, Mark, that says that, you know, getting started gets you 50% to the finish line. So just get started. Uh, dip your toe in the water. It's, it's nice. Jump in. And you can start very, very slow. And you can do these tests very, very slow. How do I know that? So we had a, a branch of the government. They wanted to take a test drive. And our SE, Conrad, said, you know what? Give me the newest person on your staff, and we'll train that person up. And they offered up an intern, been on the job, I think, a couple of weeks. And in four hours, this intern had four applications built in a zero-trust manner, right, getting access to an application. So it's quite frictionless, right? Zero, adopting zero-trust is frictionless, Um I'm not saying the all spectrum of zero trust. I talked about the endpoint detection and ADRs and the logging and all of that. I'm not discounting the need for that. But that's just kind of context of what we do. The true bread and butter is protect the user, protect the app, limit the lateral movement. And we can do that in a matter of minutes uh, and hours. So just get started, please. Um, And the more you roll out the zero trust, the more protected you are. Now, having said all of that, all the unicorns and skittles and rainbows, I'll give you one word of warning. There's no such thing as zero trust. It doesn't exist. It's, a, it's about blast radius containment. It's about making that blast as small as possible 
you can never reach zero. So for those of you that studied engineering and remember your calculus, this is an asymptotic limit problem. You approach zero as fast as you can, but you never reach zero. So zero trust from Forrester, uh, great term. It, everybody gets it intuitively, but there is no such thing as zero trust. So you need to let your higher-ups know that, hey, we're doing this, but it's not the panacea. It's going to allow us to make it a little blip instead of a bomb going off, right? And that's why you need to get on the zero trust bandwagon as quickly as possible. Time is ticking. The next zero day is out there and it's going to hit and it's going to be bad. But for those of you with the right zero trust solution, it'll be a blip on the radar as opposed to catastrophic event. I would be remiss at this point if I didn't bring up and I should have brought it up earlier that uh, Zscaler is FedRAMP authorized uh, how many different ways? Yeah, so I, I actually did this research uh, for the Public Sector Summit. So there are about 250 moderate agency sponsored, and then it gets higher. And, you know, as you get to uh, JAB authorized, that's um, Joint Advisory Board, the DOD, Homeland Security, and GSA. So that num- as you get to FedRAMP high, the number gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Then you get to impact level five, that's DOD um, certification. And for that, so a, co- a company that has FedRAMP moderate, FedRAMP uh, high, and impact level five, all three of those, there are six companies right now that have that. Four of them, you know, which is uh, the people that did the J with. So Microsoft, you have uh, Oracle, IBM, and, and AWS. VMware is the fifth. And the sixth company is Zscaler. So, you know, it, it goes to talk about our scalability and the, yeah, this is blood, sweat, tear equity that we bid in put into getting certified and running a cloud. Um, and I'll give you one anecdote. So in a couple of years ago, in the March craziness of COVID lockdown, the backbone of Zscaler increased by 1,200% in one day. So when that lockdown mandate came down, everybody had to go home. And in one day, Zscaler saw a 1,200% increase in utilization. But because of that sweat, blood, tear equity of building up that hyperscale, that experience of running that for 15 plus years, we were able to absorb that and move on, right? So those are some some interesting topics that we can delve on maybe in future sessions, but um, get started. That's the advice that I have for you. Get started. And, you know, if you're on the federal side of things, you've got to pick a partner that is uh, uh, FedRAMP authorized, period. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. So there. Uh, one final thing I want to talk about, and that's how to talk to your your executives, your your uh, your agency uh, superiors, as well as your company superiors, about the need for zero trust. So, okay, you know these Absolutely. these are people who you mm-hmm. know their cheese is epoxied to the table in front of them. Sure. So. On the corporate side, this is already going to be mandated. Uh, Early March, SEC put out a thing. Hey, board members, you better be cyber aware. And you need to tell everybody, all the uh, shareholders, how experienced you are in cyber. And you have a board responsibility to do this and expose any type of uh, breaches, et cetera. So obviously in the government, it's slightly different. But guess what, agency heads, with the executive orders and the OMBs and 
and all the architecture that are, architecture that's coming out, something like that is going to happen where you as the agency head, the AO, will be responsible for this. So there's three things that, as a technologist, you need to talk to your bosses about. One, there's only three things. There are three things that you can do um, when it comes to cyber, cyber attack. One is mitigation, prevention. Obviously, zero trust plays a huge part of that. Uh, so that's one pillar. The other three, mitigation is one. The good thing about mitigation is that there are studies that show for every dollar you spend in mitigation, you get a tenfold return in the other two pillars, okay, which we'll talk about. So mitigation, that's job one. Number two, you know, we call it risk transfer. It's a fancy way of saying insurance. You buy cyber insurance. But here's the thing. The demand for cyber insurance is so high. Now they can pick and they can be very choosy. They don't just, hey, we want the business. We'll insure you. No, cyber insurance doesn't work that way. Now they want to see how well prepared you are. And if you're not, you're going to pay through the nose, which makes you know, insurance impractical, right? So just to get the insurance for cyber, you have better have your house in order. So that's pillar number two, mitigation and insurance. Number three, this is key one, acceptable laws. You have to educate your seniors, hey, in the event of a cyber attack, these things, these things on this list, they're throwaway items. I don't have enough I don't have limitless budget, limitless manpower to protect everything. So the rookie mistake of every CISO is I'll protect everything. Nonsense. You can't do it. You don't have enough money, enough manpower, enough time in the day. So make a list. These we're willing to lose, and it may take us a while to rebuild it from scratch. So this is the acceptable loss column. It does help you, though, because it's sobering conversation. People take notice. It's more realistic. Um, so the way to talk to your is not, I'm going to promise 100% efficacy. No, it doesn't work that way. So bring that, hey, this is the acceptable loss column. I need all of you to sign off and be aware of this, right? Um, and it's a good sobering, you know, I call it a bite of reality sandwich for the higher ups to go, oh, crap, not everything can be protected. So it's, it's a good wake up call. Um, and so those are the three things that you want to talk about. What is your mitigation plan? And most importantly, no agency head, no four-star general ever woke up and said, you know what I need? I need me some more zero trust. Okay, They don't care about the technology. No one cares. What they want is what is our program of action? And you know, what is our risk management framework? What is our baseline? So have a baseline. And say, this is the journey we're going to go on, journey towards zero trust. Okay. And then be, be ready to measure yourself against that benchmark. And the, the final thing I'll say is, don't be afraid to bring in experts to help you, right? Those of you who are practitioner, I know you're just throwing daggers at me, pitchforks at me. You know, I call this the expert from afar syndrome. You can say the same thing. And your boss doesn't listen to you, but an expert from afar, somebody outside says the same thing. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. I understand that. But when it comes to cyber, they can be your allies because they can help you map the, um, the roadmap to zero trust and they can keep you on target. Right. And you have, you know, quote unquote, a neutral par third party to benchmark you so that your leadership has more confidence 
and can sleep at night. So don't think of cyber experts as these people that are adversarial. They're there to help you. And in cyber, most of them have been in your shoes. They've walked a mile in your shoes. Uh, so they understand what's at stake. So don't be afraid to ask for help uh, to get your framework and roadmap aligned uh, and uh, and help you with the messaging. That's a lot to absorb, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, Hong Sung Bei, the public sector chief technologist for Zscaler. Uh, Hong Sung, thank you so much. I'll see you in Baltimore next month. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. You bet. Great. Uh, this is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, but I am especially addicted to helping companies build out subject matter expert and thought leadership platforms, leveraging content and LinkedIn. So if that resonates, drop me a line and uh, please like and subscribe to the platform uh, podcast platform of your choice, choice wherever you listen to this. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.